Welcome back to Mechanical Freak from Seattle and New York, those cities of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today. Uh, you know, I, I feel pretty strongly that like, as far as the, you know, what's happening um, in Palestine right now, uh, so much has already been said and people have, you know, probably already heard a lot of uh, what needs to be said and, you know, all that is really required from us is like a strong statement of, you know, solidarity with, uh, the Palestinian people, the people of Gaza, not only, uh, in what, uh, the sort of ongoing starting and presumably coming sort of genocidal hell that they're going through, but also in their 70 year struggle for freedom against, uh, occupation and apartheid. You know, but I've been overruled because Brian wants to go off. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so we'll look forward to an entire episode on that. Uh, more seriously, though, I kid because the truth is, um, as you know, we're seeing like, in a, in a continuation of the last you know seventy years of uh, Israeli occupation, and in a very dramatic way right now, like. Palestinian voices, perspectives, reality are being completely uh, simultaneously shut out and denounced by everyone on earth, basically, um, in any kind of position of power, certainly in this country, uh, in our, you know, and then obviously in our media. Uh, So, you know what? Fuck it. Um, It doesn't matter how much you talk about this shit. Uh, It doesn't matter if you repeat the same things over and over again that everyone else is saying, um, I think we will have, you know, new, you know, some, some interesting ways to talk about this, but, uh, it needs to be said over and over again. And if that, you know, to our, uh, you know, relatively small listenership, um, that's fine. You know, like, uh, these conversations have to be had. This is like, we're on the verge of what's looking like, you know, about to become like one of the great, uh, crimes of the 21st century um so it bears talking about yeah for sure and uh for those who maybe have been i don't know on a camping trip for two weeks with no uh, media or something like that the quick rundown is that last weekend you know uh hamas which is the political party uh that's in leadership in gaza which is a giant open air prison essentially concentration camp sealed by walls across all of its land borders and blockaded by the israeli navy on the water every important element in gaza controlled by the country of israel power water access all that controlled fully by israel Um, escape from new york with much more people yeah with two million people in it and um well hamas broke free from the Gaza prison, right? So they flew people in weird hang gliders over the wall. They cut holes in the wall. They took hostages. They killed people in Israel. Oh, shock of all shocks. And um, for one day, they roamed free in Israel. Uh, And, you know, Israel considers its own territory. And in response, Israel is now leveling 
Gaza, right, through air raids and just bombing the shit out of Gaza. Israeli officials, uh, the defense minister, cut all power and water to Gaza. Again, a literal prison concentration camp, right, full of two million people who cannot leave, who cannot go anywhere. Uh, cut their power and water, referring to them what as little animals. Yeah, what little they had, referred to them as animals. Uh, the Israeli president declared that there are no civilians in Gaza. Everybody's a target before giving people 24 hours to, quote unquote, leave northern Gaza, a literal physical impossibility. When people did try to move south, the Israeli military then bombed all the routes south, killing people trying to flee. Yeah, blew up buses of people going south. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and honestly, like, in a, a, we'll talk about a lot of the historical parallels, but uh, very reminiscent of the Highway of Death and the first Gulf War where um, the Americans bombed fleeing Iraqis and Iraqi civilians largely uh, for three days. But after telling them that they should take that highway, then bomb the shit out of it. Uh, the Israeli defense minister has now announced that Quote, Gaza won't return to what it was before. We will eliminate everything. Gaza will be a city of tents. Yeah, more than that, I mean, you know, the the late this latest evacuation order, the out in 24 hours of northern Gaza, um, there's like a line there saying here, get get south of this line. Um, and what's north of that line is Gaza City itself, where most mm-hmm. people live. Um, but it's also basically half of the Gaza Strip. And you gotta I mean Obviously, that is going to mean the death of a lot of people, like, really immediately. Like, the chaos of that. They're, yeah, of course, they're bombing them as they flee. It's a genocidal act in itself, this kind of forced relocation. Um, but also, I mean, it's... You gotta figure, like... It's possible they're, they've decided to turn the Gaza Strip into the Khan Yunus, like, rhombus, you know? Uh, like that what we think of as Gaza is going to go away and the prison mm-hmm. itself is going to get a lot smaller is maybe what they're thinking or hoping. I mean, that's just one possible outcome of this, but it seems like they're going to, you know, what whether their biggest priority or hope for this is that they actually get those over a million people to pick up and flee within, if not 24 hours, a few days, or if they're just... That's just to say, well, we told you so before they like firebomb mm-hmm. Gaza City uh, and level it to ash. Who can say? But either way, like they're going in, they're amassing troops up there. So they're going to end up going in. And you got to wonder if they're ultimately just going to push the fence uh, south of Gaza City, um, uh, condensing what's left of the population into a smaller area, making it even more miserable than it has been for the last generation you know yeah i think that's explicitly kind of uh what's gonna or what they want to do and that's certainly people's concern i mean divest spd posted a very nice kind of layover map for people having trouble visualizing what gaza is like gaza itself physically is about the size of seattle the city limits of seattle but instead of having 700,000 people in it, it has two plus million people in it, 2.2 million people in it. And as you might imagine, there's not a lot of room to move in there. 
And so if Israel wants to compress it and steal more land, uh, which, you know, let's not <laughs> mince words. That's what this is about, stealing land. Uh, it's going to require mass violence. And that's, of course, what they're doing, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I would fully expect that fence is moving in, you know, uh, and they'll be even more compressed than they were before. And, you know, uh, again, let's not mince words. The United States will fully fund back and uh, cheer on this concentration camp and this ongoing genocide in uh, in, in Palestine. You know, um, well, we certainly are so it, far. It's horrifying. Yeah. But the horrifying details of that aside, I, I think we wanted to talk a little bit about the responses both to the Hamas raid as well as to uh, Israel's reaction to it. And right off the bat, there was these sort of creations, these mythologies that were developed uh, in order to, I think, manage an international response, right? But uh, that Hamas had stolen into Israel and was out there mass raping civilians and beheading babies. And, you know, as to the role of the U.S. in promoting all this, Joe Biden himself actually went on TV and in front of the press and basically repeated this and said that, you know, Hamas is beheading babies in Israel. Uh, the White House then quietly released a press release shortly after saying, uh, we actually don't know if that's true. Nobody can confirm that this has ever happened or anything like that. Uh, yeah. You know, Clarified but, that when but, he said he saw things, what he meant, yeah. he saw those videos. What he meant was he's senile and Bibi Netanyahu <laughs> told him about the, uh, this happening and he uh, imagined that he saw videos. The utility of having a senile president uh really coming mm -hmm. out right now yeah and you know of course a, a, a small one paragraph white house press release is not going to combat you know a full-fledged story of the president claiming he saw videos that literally do not exist and that of course helped to inflame anti-palestinian and anti-arab sentiment in the united states and i i just thought it might be interesting to kind of talk about the role of some of these myths. So to be clear, as far as anybody knows, including uh, Israeli media sources that have looked into this, have been much more honest about this whole thing than the United States has. Uh, there are no beheaded babies. <laughs> like yeah, the Israeli government yeah. and the IDF also said that they do not confirm that story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After they did put it out in the first place, but they put now, it out. You know when, when the once they got it out on yeah. national on international TV and the president. Then when exactly. real journalists started yeah. to ask, they're like, "Well, can we see that stuff?" Then like they're like, "Oh, well, I don't know. We just heard about it. Whatever." Yeah, yeah. And it Source, seems, I made it up. Yeah. yeah, it seems to have been sourced to a single Israeli settler who you know like most israeli settlers for decades has been going on about how there you know there needs to be a final solution for the palestinians so maybe not the world's most credible source you know i mean so not credible because he also has a reputation of spitting up these lies before like there's a history of like this guy doing this too yeah yeah and so i i think it's interesting talking about the the role these kind of mythologies sort of play 
because I think for people who maybe have been listening to Ending the Myth or familiar with American history, uh, some of this might sound a little familiar, right? Mm. You know, uh, you know, the first great American uh, movie epic, Birth of a Nation, is literally a recital of this kind of mythology, right? Mm-hmm. Of free blacks. Uh, the first thing they're going to do is rape all the white women and murder, you know, uh, white babies and white children. And, you know, I was just curious if you guys had some thoughts on the sort of uh, role in apartheid states of this kind of demonology of the other, you know? Well, I mean, if you want to murder a bunch of people, like you should probably accuse them of murder. And if you're going to do that, uh, do it in the most visceral way possible. And the first thing that sprung to my mind was the use of the exact same horse shit on the eve of the first Gulf War. Yeah. Um, yeah. When the... Literally uh, the same horse shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, uh, when the uh, Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter like went before Congress and told this like made up story about the elite Republican guard, like bayoneting babies in maternity wards in Kuwait. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's just, you, you know, that there's a utility to that. And it is like, uh, preempting a justification for the, not just the invasion, but the highway of death, right? The, the, yeah. the, the real like wanton slaughter of people, and everything that comes after it's like well you know eventually those stories are going to get out eventually your population is going to like hear that you're really and you want to if you want to sell a war you want to do it like rah rah you want to like have cnn showing those bombs going off and saying look look at what we're doing here this is great like they did but you lay the groundwork for that by demonizing uh your enemy so that you, they don't have to also ask those questions so that people can watch those images and get like enthralled by them because they already know they're justified. You know, mm-hmm. they already feel confident that like this is being done to some evil people whose, you know, bloodlust you can't even really uh, metabolize or imagine. They're killing babies, you know? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it goes back forever, you know? And yeah. It's and ancient. A quick note on that. I mean, in 1991, you know, I think the story was that they had pulled 200 babies out of Kuwaiti incubators, right? You know, yeah. and when people on the anti-war left pointed out, there's not even that many incubators in Kuwait. Like that's literally phys- like not possible. The story could be true. Very similar to now when you point out like this story sounds very made up. Uh, people would just say, why do you hate children? So why, why do you want to support the killing of babies? You know, like all, once this accusation is made, all rationality is thrown to the wind. Right. And yeah. everything just becomes, why would you defend killing children? You know? Yeah. You're describing, it's, it describes a very heinous act, but it, I think it also, the intersection between these two things is that um, the component of race the white supremacist nature of these accusations, right? In order to sell these kind of lies and this kind of story, I think people need to have pre-existing racist ideas of who these people are. And you can't like look at them 
as human, right? Which I think is why you see these accusations mainly be targeted at black people in America, Arab people abroad, right? Mm. You rarely hear these stories when it's not subjugated populations who are under immense oppression and who are not within whiteness. And I think that that is a key point because in order to carry out this genocide, not only you have to dehumanize them and think of them as animals, but the easiest way to do that is exploit existing racist ideas and ideology that's baked into settler colonialism, which is, you know, within America and in the so-called state of Israel. And I think that that is a huge factor in how it was so easy for the media to latch onto it instead of, you know, maybe investigating it further or maybe uncritically doing it is because no matter what you see, whether it's, you know, rebellions, slave uprisings, um, you know, decolonial movements, it all comes down to white womanhood, the idea of the family and how that's under attack from the, racial hordes that are coming mm-hmm. to destroy that very thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that fit very neat. That narrative that we heard would fit very, very neatly into that racist idea. Yeah. I mean, to that point, Chase Geyser on Twitter apparently uh, does some sort of uh, sensible centrist podcast out of Austin and as uh, one of the uh, infernal blue checks on Twitter had this interesting uh, tweet where he wrote, Over 30% of marriages in Gaza are between first cousins. The average IQ is 67.9. And for context, Forrest Gump's IQ is 75. And, you know, you would think that when you're citing as your base level a fictional character, that you might think that you're doing some acts of and works of fiction here. Uh, But yes, I mean, to your point, you might might ask yourself why you're doing like, (laughs) you might ask yourself like, like why you're doing that why Mm. why you're saying that like yeah uh, like yeah could it possibly be true no obviously not uh that's but um (laughs) regardless of that like wow yeah and i mean the thing is is, Uh, you know he's cited as a source mankind quarterly which is a literal uh eugenics journal that was created in the 1930s it's like a pro-nazi journal they ended up changing the name to mankind quarterly after the holocaust because it got a little embarrassing <laughs> yeah from to be holocaust so pro-Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah from holocaust quarterly right um Ugh. but the thing is i think to your point munya like you know uh some you know american centrists and liberals got a little concerned that maybe when Americans see Palestinians, they don't instantly transpose the white versus black, like mm-hmm. American racial narrative. They're not transposing that perfectly to the Israeli Palestinian conflict. And so they had to step in and basically be, Hey guys, just so you know, these are the Negroes of the middle East. So whatever, exactly. they, you know, these are barbarians, whatever we do to them is therefore justified. And, and I think also that, and the fact that there have been inconceivable crimes committed by Israel in reality, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which mirror these exact attacks on Palestinian people, right? So the beheaded babies thing, babies getting killed. When you, Whenever you talk about that, right, you're met with, oh, you don't care about babies. Well, right now, currently, as we speak to, 
um, Gaza is getting leveled. Half of the people in Gaza are children, right? There are photos yeah. coming out from photojournalists, very, very graphic of babies, of dead babies laying around in Gaza. It was shocking to watch, but that's what's actually happening right yeah. now from Israel, right? There's very much documented um, history of Israeli soldiers and Israeli settlers uh, engaging in, um, you know, heinous acts of rape, systematic sexual assault of Palestinians. It's a part of uh, how they operate uh, and occupy uh, Palestine and harass, uh, you know, uh, women of of Palestine. Mm-hmm. Um, those are things that actually happen systematically, right? Um, And these same things are getting projected onto the people that it's happening to, right? As if it's like this unequivocally unacceptable thing, but you're not hearing a peep about this from the same people who care about it, which means maybe we got to like consider that there is another motive other than just being concerned about, you know, babes or just being concerned about heinous acts of sexual assault. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, Moody, to your point, I mean, the idea that like every accusation is a confession, right, is more than just a pithy, you know, like Twitter one liner or whatever. Um, you know, th- this is the part that reminded me of sort of, you know, the post Civil War, post Reconstruction period is the psychosexual nature of this panic, you know, this race panic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that the, you know, the Palestinians were carrying out mass rapes of, you know, coded white Israeli women, right? And you heard the exact same thing, uh, you know, after the collapse of Reconstruction, and part of the creation of a system of racial terror, right? You know, through lynchings, beatings, burnings, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Part of that was the weaponization of rape accusations, right, by Mm -hmm. fucking white people, right? You know, and like, and this idea you have an attacked white womanhood. And the thing that is telling about that is that the system of slavery itself, fundamental to that system, right at its fucking core, was the systematic rape of black women by both white owners, by the, you know, the systems of breeding and stuff like that, that white owners like Thomas Jefferson put on their slaves. Right. I mean, your know, rape was and sexual violence was a core element. It was a requirement of chattel slavery in yeah. America. Yeah. Not, not an option, not an imagining of Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> Jacob Unchained or something. It was a literal core element that all slave owners participated in. Right. Yep. And, the psychosexual paranoia in America that's continued to this day around black men in particular is a literal fear that what was done right by America and its creation of slavery and its maintenance of apartheid after slavery, what was done by America would be revisited back upon it. Right. You know, and it undergirds, a lot of the neuroses of white America today, you know, uh, one of the like craziest stories about the Vietnam war is that the CIA, you know, has these intelligence units that were just, you know, just there to try and terrorize the Vietnamese people. They would drop giant, uh, like Magnum stretched out condoms on the Ho Chi Minh trail and leave notes about how black American soldiers were ravaging Vietnamese women, right? 
And apparently the Vietnamese got this and not being American, not having grown up in the weird sexual neuroses of racist sexual neuroses of America, didn't understand. They were like, what the fuck is this? Like, it was like why? literally like looking at hieroglyphs for them. They were like, what the fuck More, am I looking you know, at? You like, know, why are, like, why are they announcing, like, are they saying like, we're doing a program of mass rape to you and we're doing it in this particular way? Like. <laughs> that's weird it, why would you why would you uh why would yeah. you announce that and also like the the whole race element to them was just in like inscrutable they were just like i don't know what this means like I, yeah why what, are you what, even pointing that out you know but something that for white americans right would be instantly understand instantly understood know? exactly yeah. exactly and you know that's the role that you know race plays in things like genocides and apartheid and you see it play out right and the, and again the idea is that all reason should be dropped by the wayside, you know, uh, when a thousand, you know, white people would get together to lynch somebody in the United States in 1910, 1920, right? Uh, and they bring their families to watch as somebody literally, you know, nailed to a tree is burned alive, you know, and they'd watch it with their kids and trade postcard photos of it and things like that the justification their mind of this horrific violence of why it was okay for them to do it. Why it was, was always that, Oh, well, we were protecting the white family, you know, against this barbaric menace, you know, and it made every subsequent action. Okay. You know, and it's one of those things that because it's a total irrational hatred and irrational, like, you know, theory of race or irrational, you could say like, oh, the mass rapes didn't happen in Palestine. You know, didn't happen in this Hamas breakout. But if the Israelis can find one woman who is raped by a Palestinian, right, all of a sudden everything becomes justified, right? You know, in the minds of those who want to carry out this genocide. And uh, I, I, I think it's important to understand how that sort of mythology works. I mean, uh, Munya, I think. It, you know, Bevins brings up the same thing in Indonesia, right? Yes. Like the, the fears of like rape and stuff like that, you know, is justifying the Indonesian genocide. Sex cults, uh, rape, um, you know, there those those were requirements to carry out a genocide that reached up to a, a million people um, mm -hmm. in Indonesia, right? But like people at that time latched onto that even like internally being like whoa like what <laughs> like this is happening you know and like the new york times was uh was publishing those stories um completely outright even the ap was you know it, it was something that is required to take on a swift genocide right is to mm -hmm. have that justification that you can just you know unspeakable but the thing is is that like you said in reality that's actually happening it's just not yeah. from the people who you say it is it's the people who are launching the claim well yeah. in, in indonesia they basically the the right-wing you know anti-communist forces that basically looked at their own plans for what they would like to do to a lot of people in indonesia which is torture rape murder mutilate them and carry out a conspiracy to, you know, uh, take control fully in that country. And they were like, hey, let's just accuse our enemies of all this stuff that, like, we're salivating to do. Yeah. 
which will give us a justification to do those things. No, we can just do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, people, when they, they go to, you know, they're in grade school or whatever, and you say, learn about the Holocaust for the first time. And, you know, there's always that like somewhat trite exercise because it's never like fully carried out as a thought experiment. Like, what would you do if you were in Germany in this time or whatever? And be like, oh, I'd be so horrified by the Holocaust. I would definitely be against Nazism or whatever. Wrong. I, wrong. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> take a look at the people in America today and their response to uh, this, you know, this absolute just genocide in Gaza and look at how they're cheering it on with total bloodlust. Like it's not like in Nazi Germany, they were like, Hey, we're going to round up the Jews. We're going to round up the Roma, the communists, et cetera. You know, they're all good people though. They're all good people, but we're going to round them up and (laughs) kill them because we're bad people. (laughs) Yeah. That's not how they (laughs) described it. You know, like these same mythologies were used, right. In order to carry this out. And that's, that's how you carry out a genocide. Right. And, uh, you know, you're just seeing it now in real time. I mean, I don't know if you guys uh, I put in the chat that insane cartoon that some weird Zionist had created that is just a boot that says IDF on it. And then there's a bug, you know, dressed as a Palestinian, a literal bug being stomped by the boot. And there's like, yes, you know, like, the, you know, like mm-hmm. this, this is great. And it's like somebody instantly put under it a German cartoon. That's literally the exact same thing, just with a Jewish bug and like a Nazi boot or whatever. <laughs> and, um, but it's like, this is, this is how like the logic of race works itself out. in these, uh, for these events that are, you know, their exercises in mass violence you know I, I i do want to talk a little bit too about this idea of hamas and the killing of civilians by hamas and i think there's like a couple of angles that are sort of worth talking about the first being i think equating so the areas that hamas was able to attack were the areas closest to the to the fence essentially uh which I think people are imagining like, oh, they were like running free through Tel Aviv or something. Uh, But what we're actually talking about is actual Israeli settlements, right? And this idea of like, oh, these are people that were just, you know, going to the local Applebee's and then Hamas went running (laughs) through. And I I do think that there has to be a comment made about the settlements. Like, it is not accurate to call people living in the Israeli settlements uh, civilians. That's just a plain falsehood. Uh, They are, the settlements are paramilitary formations that carry out their own genocides, that carry out their own acts of violent reprisals, mass violence, etc. They are supported by the IDF, Right, but they are essentially military bulwarks that are put on Palestinian land as a as an act of stealing the land, right? Yeah. And they're they're also, you know, the confusion is that well, they're also people and their families living there. And yeah, the tension there of like how can they be both is the answer is that that's what settler colonialism is. That's mm-hmm. what the strategy of settler colonialism is that's what you do when you want to expand into a territory that you want to colonize there's multiple ways to do it but settler colonialism uh certainly 
certainly wasn't developed by Israel. It, it goes has a long history. Uh, is where you move people and families into an area. Uh, you uh, paramilitarize them uh, to be to be uh, agents of not just set, settler expansion, but of um, population transfer, of extermination, of violence, as well as uh, uh, justifications for uh, defensive action. You know, um, mm. you send in this country, you know, you send uh, settlers out into the West and uh, they, you know, go on, they form uh, in Indian massacring parties and they go out and do violence as they move into the West and then they get attacked as well in reprisal and then you know that then you can send in the army to deal with that you know yeah yep it works this it's a complicated thing but it's a very old strategy that that works and has worked a lot of places in the world but that is the nature of being a settler colonist yeah yeah and and you know you can even see that just within the geography right if you take aerial views of these settlements a lot of the roofs on the settlers places are red and they're painted red because it informs the IDF and the military where not to bomb. Right. So <laughs> if the roof is not red, that means it's not one of their settlements that they've strategically placed there to do the settler colonialism yeah, too. They've painted their door with the blood of the lamb, you know? Yeah. Just like yeah. in Egypt. Or as um, uh, one of the, one of the like family legends uh, in my family was that in Indiana, some of the let's just say uh more pro-axis families uh in farm country during the second world war uh at the initial stages of the second world war uh were painting german flags and swastikas on the roofs of their barns so that the germans wouldn't bomb their barn <laughs> you know <laughs> that's confidence or is it just hedging i mean yeah. i don't know yeah. i guess it's like it's a hedge because like what are the consequences in a, to you in america um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not it's not to say that, like, hearing about uh, people and their families out of uniform perhaps being killed is like a really nice thing. What it is, is war. Yeah, it's war. It's how war works. Uh, it's what a war is. Uh, and th it, this is a very lopsided one. And it's one that on the part of uh, Hamas and Gaza and the Palestinians is being fought for liberation against a brutal oppressor. So, uh, it's not nice, you know, but it, mm -hmm. it's, that's what, this is what a war is. You can call it terrorism. I mean, they, you know, you can get into like, you could pick apart every little, like, well, they attacked this many military installations and kicked the Israelis ass at a lot of them. And these other things happen where, you know, civilians died you could pick apart all these things and like and you know come up with some ratio of like uh terrorist acts to legitimate acts of uh of legal uh wartime violence or whatever that this is what a war is you know yeah this is war war is not nice it's a bad thing you know yeah it's, it's generally why it's to be avoided right and i i think that connection between uh, the settlement of the American West is critical in a lot of ways. You know, uh, when we talk to Richard White uh, on ending the myth, you know, 
one of the things he talked about that was a mythology of the American West is this idea, this little house on the prairie idea that little American farmers just went West, you know, and like set up their little house and wanted to, you know, it's like set up shop. Yeah. He's like, that's not <laughs> what happened. Like the federal government, like pre-selected, you know, certain types of people and, you know, with the support of the federal government and federal troops went West to conquer, right. Not to farm. And the railroad um, was built first. Yeah. And and in so doing, you know, I mean, like some elements of that are, say, in the state of Texas, right? The government of the state of Texas paid settlers in Texas per Indian scalp. Right. Yeah. So they're they're pre-selecting a certain type of person and then asking them to go do a certain act. Right. Yeah. Uh, like, so when you think the Israeli settlers, maybe go read like Blood Meridian and like that's actually what you should be picturing in your head a little bit more than uh, Little House on the Prairie. Uh, but at the same time, as you had mentioned earlier, Greg, of course, like such horrifying violence on the part of settlers invites reprisal. Right. Mm-hmm. And that reprisal then retroactively justifies the violence in the eyes of settlers. And. The thing is, is when you look at the American conquest of the West and you say, oh, you know, uh, Indian band slaughtered a settlement. Right. Or, you know, you find some case where like, oh, in this case, uh, an Indian uh, raped some white woman in the West or whatever bullshit. Fucking, but whatever, you know, that stuff happened. Right. But it's like that's that is a fucking war. And the, and the reality yeah. is, is that the aggressor the powerful side in a war in this case it is undeniably israel they literally control the electricity and water in gaza right like the side that is the dominant side of war chooses how that war gets fought right it is their choice that hamas has to fight the war in the way that it has to be fought the palestinians have tried peaceful protest they try it all the time just recently in 2018 they did the right to return where they walked up to the the fucking prison wall in gaza and the idf just gunned them down saying kumbaya every single time there's a generation shot children yeah Yeah. right and it was a demonstration which you know every single day they'd walk to the border and every single time israeli snipers would specifically target their kneecaps too Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole generation of people who now are like completely amputated within Palestine for the people who survived. A lot of people were just gunned down and killed because there's yeah. this legit no go zone before you get to the wall. Right. Mm-hmm. Where it says if you go into this zone, which is miles away from the wall. Right. Yeah. If you just go into it, you will just be automatically shot. And I think a lot of people now need to remember that within uh, the development of technology that has come about they're not actually seeing these people on the ground there's now like a just a mass surveillance of drones in the air snipers in outposts while you know it's essentially just this like technological wall where they're just be getting drone strike out of the sky or snipe from a sniper outpost there's not really like interaction face to face with you know these soldiers it's almost like a like a technocracy like a fascist technocracy that's happening mm-hmm. right now where you just kind of step in a boundary you get zapped and killed you know yeah. um i mean like it, that that quite literally they're living in the apocalypse and i do not buy the idea that like 
we're too ignorant to even understand what retribution means or what, you know, context and conditions mean. Because Greg Grandin was right to point out that John Quincy Adams, like, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. he was president of the United States. um, But when he was like the Massachusetts representative in 1836, he said of the Indian raids, um, which included scalping on frontier settlers, he said that that was retributive justice from heaven. Right. He said it was the last agonies of a people, you know, so even a future president of the United States, a congressperson sitting on the on the settler colonial government understood like the the nature and the justification, you know, of desperate people who are getting, you know, pinned down and oppressed. And that is the risk you take when you're, you know, engaging in settler colonialism is the people who you put in cage might not just lay down. Like, what is someone mm-hmm. to do in such an apocalyptic situation? Is it uh, good and pleasant? Is it something that is, like, cheered on? Like, no. But is it something that is done to them, right? It's a question of power. And I think the flattening of power when this discourse comes about is troubling because then it's just a matter of morals and ethics instead yeah. of instead of you know justice to what is happening to them right mm-hmm. if you're calling for violence the violence you have to you know make sure where the violence is actually coming from yeah and i think you know at this point we're talking about this the sort of limpness of like liberal pacifism but it's important to remember one of the primary justifications both north and south for maintaining slavery as the uh virginia you know uh, assembly mentioned when they said that we have to keep the monster in chains was what would happen if we did free the slaves after what we've done to them what would they do to us right and you know du bois in black reconstruction he says you know that it was to the great astonishment of many whites, particularly in the South, that, you know, once the slaves are freed, they didn't just go on a rampage. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because they necessarily thought the slaves were so barbaric. It was them responding to their own barbarism against the slaves and saying, it's after what we've done, like, this is what we deserve. Right. And they're worried that they were going to get it, you know. Violence and, informs and disciplines and trains and treats. So that is your world that you're living in, right? And that's like the world that is taught by the oppressor, you know? And yeah. so, you know, that that's an environment that you are fundamentally taught and brought into. Um, that's something that's done to a person, right? So it's even like a material question of that's all they know, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, and I and I think it shows the, the again the limpness of sort of liberal pacifism in the sense that is there a single world you could imagine where you are going to negotiate the Nazis down from war down from violence right <laughs> negotiate a say a peaceful settlement in Nazi Germany right you know no because the Nazis decided the terms on which they would have to be defeated right and that is true in, you know, the situation in Israel-Palestine as well. I mean, it was very funny seeing these just nerds coming out and being like, 
I don't understand why the Palestinians don't try peaceful methods of protest. Uh, you know, people who literally, I guess, learned about Palestine one week ago. No, and had are not to, aware because of, that's just yeah, a crazy the, take. Yeah, the entire history. It's like, yeah, they do that all the time. And they it's get fucking peaceful, murdered all the time. Peaceful They've done resistance the legal happens route. every single day. They've been going <laughs> yeah. through the legal route. They've been appealing to the UN. Yeah. They've been doing a lot of peaceful demonstrations. Like, you know, that's basically like yeah. what the reason why you're learning about Palestine just today is because of how many of these demonstrations were peaceful and not uh you know resisting violence you know yeah. with violence right yeah. and remember it's resisting violence and it comes out in very graphic ways when it comes out stuff that is very you know uncomfortable to witness but i think what liberals qualms with that is is that they are very comfortable with the violence getting inflicted on palestinians the fact that they have to be subjected to that violence now and not just having them lay down and take a genocide right and that mm -hmm. could be out of sight out of mind because that's not covered on the news right i think the most upsetting and offensive part to them is that they could they dare to try to put a stop to the systematic violence that happens to them every single day right and that's not to say that you know everything is good and dandy but there needs to be context because if you're just demonizing the oppressed people for resisting a fascist genocide that happens to them in an occupation that's been happening for decades uh to me that that really just shows what side you're really on because if you actually are, care about nonviolence, you should understand where the source of violence comes from right yeah, and I think, you know, one of the more telling things was that uh, within those like calls of like, why don't they do peaceful resistance? Uh, some like, I think it's actually more than one person put up the hilarious example of they should call for peaceful uh, means or whatever, like Nelson Mandela did. Uh, <laughs> forgetting that the entire reason that the CIA <laughs> and the South African government wanted to put Nelson Mandela in prison, if not worse, was that he was the head of the paramilitary unit of the fucking National, African National Congress. They did not believe in peaceful protests. They didn't believe in peaceful protests because they had experienced life in apartheid South Africa. They knew what Pretoria was like. It was the Cubans defeating the fucking South African army on the battlefield in Angola that ultimately destroyed apartheid South Africa. They didn't win through uh you know wonderful oratory they won because they destroyed the fucking army of apartheid south africa the army that it, was violently oppressing them right yeah. like that was the violence that was being inflicted upon them daily it's like yeah. there there's not a choice there's not a choice when you're in that insanely awful miserable situation that you're yeah. put into yeah and the thing is is that like I think that the sort of liberal vision, you know, when they talk about pacifism and stuff like that, is they think that or they want to portray oppression as some sort of accident, right? Mm -hmm. uh, an, an act of ignorance or, you know, just some sort of oops, we tripped into an accident. You know, uh, Britain famously, you know, there was the book, The Accidental Empire, about how Britain had just accidentally colonized like, <laughs> half the fucking globe. Whoops. You know, it accidentally stumbled into India and carried out a genocide of 40 million Indians, right? You know, a thing you can do accidentally, right? And the Bantu stands in South Africa, which is literally the equivalent of Gaza and the West Bank and Israel, right? The creation of reservations in the United States, right? The creation of, you know, apartheid, Jim Crow, you know, Jim Crow apartheid in the American South. 
these are not accents and they serve a purpose, right? They serve a function. And the function isn't just we don't like that person because of their skin color. The function is to create room for white settlement, right? But also to exploit the labor of those people in that degraded situation, right? The labor of Palestinians in Israel is exploited by the Israelis. They seize the value of that labor, right? That is free money for them, right? Just as the Pretoria was doing in South Africa to the black population of South Africa, hyper-exploiting them, putting them in the most dangerous jobs, the worst jobs, driving them like fucking slave masters in the old South, right? Just as the United States, that's the whole purpose of slavery in the United States is exploitation. It wasn't some weird, uh, like, cultural tick. It was to exploit the labor of black people in the United States, of African slaves, right? Jim Crow was about exploiting the labor of freed slaves, right? Finding a way to make sure that you don't actually have to pay them, you know? And because of that, because of the reason there's an actual reason for these systems of oppression existing, you can't just negotiate out of it. You can't just tell the Israeli ruling class, hey, just live lesser lives, you know? You don't just live a life without free labor, <laughs> live a life without that extra profit. Right. Uh, do it because morally you'll feel better at the end of the day. You know, that's just not how the world works. Yeah, because it's not a it's not a moral question. It's not an accident. It's a question of material reality and material benefits. Right. That have to be considered. Right. And thought about. And um and I and I think on the on this question of settlements too, you know, I, I think in America especially because we only learn about international affairs, uh, like when something like this happens, and then we instantly forget it, you know, two <laughs> weeks later. It, it's important to remember. I think in America there's this idea that the Holocaust happened, and then uh, like the Jews were given Israel as like compensation. <laughs> Right, you know, like, and and that Israel was like empty, you know, like oh here's here's some land in the desert you can have, right? And I I don't think they understand, yeah, I don't think it's widely understood that the project of colonizing Palestine began in the late 19th century, and it was not a project of like oh we gotta uh, get away from European anti-Semitism. Theodore Herzl, who who literally created the World Zionist movement, basically said. We cheer on European anti-Semitism. He's like, I court anti-Semitism. He's like, that's the only way we're going to get people to do this colonial project I want to do, right? As he said, he's like, oh, those are, you know, European anti-Semitism is what creates the conquerors we need to go into Palestine, right? Yeah, Uh, it's... It's filibustering. It's like a lot of yes. you think about. Yes, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the Republic of Texas. It's all the other failed American, uh, like Latin American filibustering efforts, or some of the quasi-successful ones. You know, with the the fruit companies, etc. Like, um, it's a it's a a colonial filibustering project that succeeded because, like in Texas, they got the backing of the empire you know first the british and then america even though they remained uh you know separate on paper and were not like the the easier and more widely successful settler colonial projects carried out directly by states you know um but that's what it is that's the impulse uh let's we could hey here's a way we can go have a country and and run it ourselves and rule it like wouldn't that be fucking sick? 
Yeah, and I mean, um, I, I, it's, it was going around a lot in the 19th century, and uh, this was just this is just one particular project that had uh, a good pitch, uh, you know, for you know, like it's been said, like there's reasons for the Jewish diaspora to there's a pitch you can make to them to like be uh, your settlers with at least part like part of a uh, prearranged national identity that you don't have to make from scratch. And uh, that the sort of soundness of that pitch uh, got, you know, made it uh, attractive to the British who wanted to control lots of the Middle East to control the the Suez, you know, and uh, that was one way, Uh, you know, they they were doing other types of colonialism in most of the places they took from, the ottomans after the first world war but when you've got the zionists saying like hey we'll do this version we'll do settler colonialism uh for the empire here like why yeah why wouldn't you take it you know they know it works the british know it works you know they did it and yeah which is why which is why israel should be you know looked at as a western colony right a american and british colony in the same way that they existed in the 19th and 20th century right and i think the uh, i the religious identity of israel i think a bit abstracts that very fact is that this is a you know a western american and british colonial project from start to now right yeah um and it's no different in how it functions from, you know, apartheid South Africa, which was backed by the British boards in, um, you know, America, uh, you know, French Algeria, you know, uh, you know, Rhodesia, uh, you know, all of those things were, you know, done by the West. And I think now that there's not the country, the Western country at the forefront, but instead it's like, you know, the, the religion at the forefront of mm-hmm. the branding. Uh, I think for maybe some people could, it could abstract just how exactly it's a part of the same, you know, Western colonial project. And it's not just like, uh, you know, sporadic Jews from all over just coming back uh, <laughs> to, <Yeah>. to, <laughs> to Palestine, right. Or people who lived in Palestine before, right. These are European, white European uh, settlers who and American settlers who are you know over there backed by those Western empires. Yeah, and, and to that point, I want to I want to read this as a quote on the founding of Israel from David Ben Gurion, right, who's considered the political father of Israel, first prime minister, right, and so talking to his fellow Israelis, uh, Ben Gurion says. In our political argument abroad, we minimize Arab opposition to us. But I urge, let us not ignore the truth among ourselves. The truth is that politically we are the aggressors and they defend themselves. The country is theirs because they inhabited it, whereas we want to come here and settle down. And in their view, we want to take away from them their country while we are still outside, right? And he goes on basically to say, that's why we have to crush the resistance of Palestinians. Now, the key thing, you know, to avoid, you know, because they're trying to fight the usurpation of their homeland by the Jews. That's quoting David Ben Gurion, all right? That's not the communist press or anything like that, right? And the key point there is he says Arabs. Notice he doesn't say Arab Muslims or anything like that. When, mm-hmm. to your point, Munya, when the European 
European Zionists, right? This is key point, right? The creation of the Zionist movement didn't happen in the late 19th century for no reason. This is the creation of nationalism, of race, of blood and soil politics, right? And European Jews are creating a racial identity just like the Germans are trying to create at that time, just like the French are trying to create, right? Trying to forge this bullshit reason for the capitalist nation state and its imperial ambitions to exist, right? And these Europeans, when they went to Palestine to colonize it, it wasn't like every Arab there was Muslim. There were Arab Jews there. There were Arab Christians. There were people who actually had lived there for Mm -hmm. hundreds of years and they got dispossessed too right and for decades you know after the formation of israel arab jews were treated like absolute shit right because israel is a racial project in the end right there's a reason why israel courted the european states and the united states to support their project, right? Why the World Zionist Movement was constantly courting the Europeans and Americans to support their project. It was a Western imperial project from the get, you know? And to Greg, to your point, I mean, this this idea of the sort of opportunism that allowed it, this filibustering operation to work as opposed to other ones comes at the end of World War II when we have the camp survivors, right, that nobody wants to take, again, as we talked about ending the myth, uh, the Western powers refused to repatriate the Jews to Europe, right? Because of their own anti-Semitism, because of the fact they thought all Jews are communists, a common belief <laughs> in the West. Um, they refused to repatriate them back to their homes in Europe, right? The United States refused to take any more than the smallest quota of Jews into the United States set in 1924 by um, you know the 1924 Immigration Act, which was created by eugenicists, right? So the question was, what did, what do you do with all these Jews? And in that case, Israel proved to be this perfect solution, a dumping ground for Europe's Jews. Expulsion. And that's why it is directly in line with Nazism and Hitlerism is because this is the vision of of that is the expulsion of Jews like from Europe into, you know, a place outside of that. Right. Where well, they cannot integrate with other cultures. They need to be its own separate thing. Right. Like that's like actually a complete continuation of, um, you know, ideology. Yeah. And to your point, Munya, the uh, Lahai organization and Irgun, which were the actual armed, you know, uh, elements of Israeli Zionism that were, you know, fighting the Palestinians and the British to create an Israeli state, you know, uh, they on multiple occasions tried to strike a deal with Nazi Germany to become like a sister state, you know, and join the Axis, right? If the Nazis would recognize Israel as a country, right, mm-hmm. and give them weapons, and uh, and they're as like, they we've said, got a final solution for you. Yeah, and they, <laughs> yeah. they pitched yeah. it like that. That's they what said, the pitch yeah. Was, yeah. they said, transfer Europe's Jews to Israel, give them to us, right, and we'll put them to work. You know, put them to work colonizing Palestine. Now, the Nazis were not in the mood to take that <laughs> up that <laughs> offer at the time. But, you know, you ask, oh, well, that's just like crazy uh, armed bands running around Israel in like 1940. Uh, you know, one of the heads of uh, Lahai, uh, Yitzhak Shamir, 
twice Israeli prime minister. Yep. You know, one of the heads of Irgus. Yeah. Yeah. Menachem mm-hmm. Begin, you know, <laughs> Israeli prime minister. The current Likud party, which is the dominant party of Israel for the past 30 years, is literally a is what Irgun and Lahai became once Israel became a recognized country, right? And so, you know, the, these these threads are still pulled through, right? And within Israel itself, post-Holocaust, you know, the Israeli settlers who were there before the war, because this project had existed for 60 years before the Holocaust, who had been there before the war initially treated the people in camps like dog shit too because they're like you fools you idiots you know you got you got caught you pussies you know like you know it it's it's one of those things i mean this this accusation that there is a direct link between zionism and judaism this is why it's it's sick it's sick that is an actual anti-semitic slur you know, yeah. these are two different things. Zionism is a horrifying political project of conquest. Judaism is is something else entirely, right? Which is why, mm-hmm. by the way, outside of Palestinians, you know, who would like to not have their land stolen from them, the number one group that you find actually supporting Palestinian rights is fucking Jews because they look at it, yeah. they see it, mm-hmm. they say, this is disgusting, this is sick. Yeah, if you yeah. follow the group Jewish Voice for Peace, um, some of like the most amazing, you know, Jewish organizing was happening, you know, in New York. Thousands of Jews uh, came out over to Chuck Schumer's uh, condo or townhouse uh, in Brooklyn and uh, were, you know, chanting "Not in our name." You know, like this, mm-hmm. it, it affects deeply. To I mean, using your faith to justify brutal settler colonialism and genocide of palestinians you know is i mean the ultimate offense you know yeah. i mean um and it yeah it, there there's a lot of american jewish resistance to this because how how could it not it's using your name your identity your faith as as this brutal like zionist um you know ideology and it's putting yeah. that at the forefront of it you know I mean, it, 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 you know, for people who came to the cause of the Palestinians, right, in America, right, to, for people who learned about the cause of the Palestinians in America, who'd you learn it from? Norman Finkelstein, Noam Chomsky, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are not Gentiles, right, that you learn this from. And yeah. for a while, the the whole, you know, problem with talking about the cause of the Palestinians in the United States is it had been ghettoized into an inter-Jewish debate between largely secular Jews who thought the whole project was disgusting and psychotic Zionists who wanted to do a fucking genocide, you know? And, you know, it's uh, Israel and the pro-Zionist side and American uh the American defense infrastructure that uses Israel as its, you know, bully in the Middle East, their weaponizing of the term anti-Semitism to defend this apartheid state. You know, it's it's one of the most grotesque things about the whole operation. Well, and, you know, uh, it's they systematically root out even just like, you know, high schoolers who say something even mildly critical of Israel, right? They'll dox them, say what their full name is, their age, you know, um, all of that stuff. And this type of blacklisting is now happening even, you know, within the media, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, MSNBC, like, pulled their 
Muslim anchors quietly off, um, you know, air. But also, you know, at NYU, you know, the law student president, right, the student bar president had this to say about Palestine, said Israel bears full responsibility for this tremendous loss of life. This regime of state sanctioned violence created the conditions that made resistance necessary. Um, uh, from that, uh, there was mass condemnation and uh, she quickly got, you know, uh, ousted from her role as, uh, you know, president of the, you know, student bar association at NYU. Um Bill Ackman, a hedge fund billionaire and, um, you know, about Zionist, uh, tweeted, I have been asked by a number of CEOs if Harvard would release a list of members of each of the Harvard organizations that have issued the letter assigning sole responsibility for Hamas's heinous act to Israel so as to ensure that none of us inadvertently hire any of their members. <laughs> so, you know we're we're seeing systematic purges of people who are critical of the Zionist state in the name of anti-Semitism. And that is like not new that's been going on, but it's been, you know, heightened and nakedly, you know, out to the point where, you know, we're seeing blacklists getting created, people getting, you know, taken down for, you know, uh, supporting, you know, uh, Palestinians and their, you know, struggle for liberation. Um, this is like what like actual, you know, power and capital are like, you know, coinciding to, you know, bring to the forefront. It's not a fair fight. Right. And, you know, this idea of anti-Semitism is weaponized to carry out, uh, you know, voices and power and in people in institutions and weed them out similar to the purges that we saw in the middle of the 20th century with the anti-communist purges, too. Right. Um mm -hmm. Now, it's a disciplinary measure, so we know that the severity of what could happen, even if you say anything mildly critical of Israel, your life can now change. And what does that inform people to do, right, yeah. in the imperial core of the people who are actually funding Israel themselves, right? So anti-Semitism is literally weaponized to do exactly that, the claims of anti-Semitism, and in turn, in a very sick way, um, flames actual anti-semitism yeah 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 of course i mean you know if you want to cover your imperial and genocidal project and the you know cover or drapery of judaism or whatever uh you know you're inviting in a way anti-semitism which by the way i mean again getting back to theodore herzl as i said i invite anti-semitism in the west right that's what powers the project right mm -hmm. um and, you know, it's in the state of Texas, the support of BDS, which is boycott, uh, divest, sanction, right? The support of BDS um, could get you fired from your job. It's like literally illegal mm -hmm. to be an employee of the state of Texas and support BDS, right? This is not normal. A peaceful protest, behavior. by the way. Yeah, peaceful protest. Yeah. That peaceful protest the liberals love so much is actually illegal in a lot of places to engage in, right? It, especially in Israel itself. And, the things that people get sanctioned for in the United States, you know, the, the stuff that you just brought up, Munya, you know, you can read that in Haaretz. You can mm -hmm. pick up the the essentially the, the, the Israeli New York Times, right, Haaretz, and you can see people saying this, you know, Hamas's actions are the product of Likud's settle 
settler policy. There was a poll release that said that basically the majority of Israelis blame Netanyahu for this. Now, that doesn't mean that they're all communists who think the Palestinians should be free. They just are saying, we got too aggressive and our prisoners are, are getting uppity. Now. Yeah, like, the, the, the critique know. is that they pushed it too far, too fast, yeah. and, you know, and there was blowback, right? And, you know, the critique is also that, you know, a part of Netanyahu's fundamental strategy was to fund and, you know, displace other, you know, radical groups and, you know, organizing groups within uh, the Gaza Strip with Hamas, which was seen as more of an ally to Israel in a way, in a way that like was less of a, you know, direct threat. And that, and, you know, it's the same kind of blowback that, you know, uh, is similar blowback, I should say, that we see in Afghanistan and a lot of the Middle East where, you know, fundamental, um, you know, religious, uh, you know, movements are propped up by the West as like the adversaries, you know, to neuter other movements too, right? And what happens when you have those groups now that you see as your ally, now that you are either adversaries, they have their own, you know, they have their own autonomy of thought, yeah. right? They, they, they're, they're not just puppets, you know, and now that strategy of, you know, upholding Hamas uh, and, you know, basically disempowering every single other, you know, party but Hamas um, and just social movement uh, turns out like that is a heavy critique within Israel itself. If you, you know, read the times of Israel or Haaretz, um, that's another critique of Netanyahu is that like this, what mm. this strategy evidently, failed right yeah like uh yeah and to your point brian it's not to say that the this is like um you know communist anti-zionist this is the paper of record of the zionist project critiquing uh how to administer the zionist project and even then there is more clear-eyed um (laughs) there's more (laughs) clear-eyed analysis than the psychotic you know stuff that we see in the western media well you know i i mean i think the you know that's all true Though with those polls, I think you got to figure some of those people are just pissed off that they were caught lacking. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I think so. It's mean, also I mean, bad. That, that, um, that's the way to read it. That's it's where not it comes Palestinian from. Anyway, no, but, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not pro-Palestinian. It is, yeah, but it, but it is a level of critique that narrow as it is, even that spectrum is not allowed in the United States. And I mean, you know, as your to your point, Munya, I mean. Uh, the, the sort of criticism in Israel is sort of like the, the you know would be similar to the New York Times or something saying like hey CIA maybe you shouldn't have taught Osama bin Laden how to fly those planes yeah you know right like <laughs> but uh, you know it's one of those like stop us if you've heard this before but you know the PLO which was you know the original sort of political formation of the Palestinians, which was secular, quasi-socialist, right? And there was a more militant socialist wing within it as well. You know, the creation of Hamas was created to break the PLO, right? Mm-hmm. And the it legitimacy- successfully did that. And it did. And the legitimacy of Hamas in the 1990s came, particularly in Gaza, when Israel really started to crack down on Gaza and turn it into a fucking prison camp. Uh, they systematically undermined uh the plo and fata and in uh gaza and when you talk about the early days of hamas and its legitimation it wasn't oh because they're so muslim and they're so orthodox or whatever uh a lot of gazans when they say the reason why we support hamas is they picked up the garbage 
They mm-hmm. organized people to go and pick up trash on trash days, right? They organized to like get schools reopened so our kids could go to fucking school, right? Like, so in that case, like Israel's systematic destruction of the infrastructure of Gaza is part of what gave Hamas its legitimacy because they were the ones who came in and said, "Well, we'll actually fix the infrastructure, right? right. We'll actually while, get while in the there." While the PLO and do was that. like systematically getting dissolved by Israel yeah. itself, and right. while Fatah yeah. was essentially just taking bribes and fucking doing corruption, which is why the Israelis liked them, you know, initially, mm-hmm. yeah. right? You know, and they're happy it's for like, them to police the the West Bank. Um, so we've talked, you know, I think we've, uh, given a lot of our thoughts on like, I guess, uh, the whole history of the situation. Um, we also wanted to get to the insane, uh, media and cultural reaction, political reaction in America. Do we want to, uh, keep talking about that, go behind the paywall and, and get into like, uh, American Israeli derangement syndrome in the next hour. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, let's do let's it. Do okay, it. everybody, you know the drill. Uh, we're going to keep this conversation going on the Patreon. The episode will be longer. Go over there uh, and let's get into it. <laughs>